I thought women were weak and I didn't want to be one. Why are suddenly teenage girls who had zero discomfort with their gender, so they, did, they weren't expressing themselves as gender dysphoric, but suddenly now they're saying, I want to transition. If you don't let me transition, I'm at a higher risk of suicide. Right. When in reality, the higher risk of suicide is five years after transition. Really? Yes, and that's because they realized transition didn't give me the happiness I thought it would. They stand to make a lot of money sure. on this. It is projected to be a $30 billion industry. Oh! I think we're going to have a tsunami of regret in a few short years. I want to talk about solution. I don't want to just talk about the problem. Right. People try to put us to death. Talking about my generation. Welcome to the TLT Movement Podcast, a podcast for tomorrow's leaders today. In this episode, I have a very special guest and a good friend of mine, Christine Snaringer. She is amazing. She's got a ministry here in South Florida called Worthy creations that's been around for as long as i've been alive for has it really yes 19 well i've been in director since 1999 but it's actually oh. been around since 1986 get out yes oh, that's i cool. just wasn't the founder that's cool well yes. it deals with sexual redemption which is a topic that we've talked about on the show a couple of times and i'm very excited because you're actually an expert in gender dysphoria and sexuality and all this stuff so that's going to be the topic of our show sure. today yes you've got a master's degree in counseling from Palm Beach Atlantic, and you also recently got a theology degree at Oxford. So we're so happy to have you on the show, and hopefully this topic brings some clarity. I know that this is a very popular, controversial topic in the world right now, and we just want to shine some light on it, a little bit of truth. This might be a little hard for some people to hear, but we just ask that you stick through it, hear it out, and so, Christine, again, so happy to have you on the show, and I would love to hear your story. How did you get into this? Yes, that is not a, a career ambition I had as a child, that I want to have the weirdest job I can imagine, and I want to talk about sex for a living. <laughs> that is not at all how it went down. I had normal career ambitions, by the way. Mm. Uh, photographer and professional tennis player were my, Ooh. actually in the reverse order. I wanted to be a professional tennis player first. And then just kind of stumbled into sexual uh, yeah, like <laughs> redemption. Yeah, stumble into that. Well, I stumbled into it because I was a person who needed healing in that. Mm. So I was a recipient of, of a ministry very similar to Worthy Creations many years ago because I had come from a history of sexual abuse, homosexuality, gender confusion. Today we call it gender dysphoria. Extreme. Uh, mine was extreme, you know, like it was persistent, not like today where it's kind of popular and... And kids... Trendy just, almost. It is, yeah, I think it is actually. And that's kind of... It's sad actually. But so I grew up with, with a lot of... and But let me go prior to those manifestations of the brokenness in my life. They started really earlier on than that with growing up in a home where there was domestic violence mm. and verbal, physical, and sexual abuse. So those... That environment formed my opinion of my, first of all, of my gender, 
Um, my mom was being abused by my dad, domestic domestic violence there, and I, there was domestic violence between my brother and I. He was four years older, and I I wasn't able to defend myself against him, mm. which was just so just disempowering. I felt powerless my whole mm. childhood because I could I had this bully in my family that I couldn't restrain and that my parents wouldn't intervene on my behalf. So that was devastating. And I thought women were weak and I didn't want to be one mm. because, you know, my mom is getting beat up by my dad and thanks. So, okay. Wait. So there's a lot to unpack there. You said you struggled with, um, with the gender dysphoria. You were part of what we would now call the LGBTQ plus. When did the homosexuality, when did that attraction start? I was in my first gay relationship at 16 when I was a sophomore in high school. So prior to that, I would have crushes on girls and even like on a teacher. But it was it was really like if there was an especially nurturing teacher, I would just want to be in her presence. It wasn't a sexual attraction that I had for her. But then after going through puberty, I believe that's when the need for same-sex bonding became sexualized. So interesting. And so this kind of then transitioned into no pun intended. Yes. Into it a, morphed. Let's say morphed. Yeah, morphed. Right. <laughs> morphed. Because transitioned means something different these days. Nowadays, yeah. Yeah. So those so the need for for same sex bonding and, and boys have a need for same sex bonding to sure. be among their peers and to bond. I mean, really developmentally children need to bond with their peers, okay? And then they feel comfortable and secure as a boy among other boys and as a girl among girls. And that helps form also gender identity. Right. And so when that's not happening, and it didn't happen for me because I didn't want my gender. I didn't want to be a girl because I didn't want to be weak and I didn't want to be a victim. So it wasn't even necessarily based on the fact like, hey, I feel like I'm a, I'm a guy inside. It was more just like, I don't want to be a girl. It was like. Yes, it wasn't, I must be a, a boy trapped in a man's, a woman's body. It was. I hate the body I'm in and I want to be a boy because I thought that that represented strength and power. Now, I did not want to be an abuser, which that's what my dad and my brother were. And those were the two most important men in my life and should have been the two most trustworthy. And they were the two most devastating Mm. male influences in my life. So I also hated men because I, I believed that they were all represented in my father and my brother. So it's been a, a quite a journey of healing, of realizing that when you paint all men with a broad brush, and then as a, as a young adult, I met some wonderful men, I was like, wow, I guess they're not all like this. Right. And then when you paint all women with a broad brush and say, well, they're all weak and they're victims and they're powerless, you're painting yourself in a corner. Wow. That's, I feel like that's so powerful what what you just had and it all it, it all does kind of start when we're young all these ideas about the world and and they do shape who we are how how long were you struggling with this gender dysphoria lgbtq plus lifestyle all this well okay first of all you have to understand i grew up in a different time so back when i was growing up we didn't have i mean certainly there were gay people but it wasn't a, a LGBTQ community that people were part of that didn't come till later, and it wasn't even really 
popular, right? Right, it, was it certainly like, wasn't. Yeah. No, it wasn't accepted. It was still a stigma around it. But one of the things I just want to say, because we, what we talked about with children and how it starts young, Henry Cloud, the, the well-known psychologist and author, said this, that children are the best recorders of information, but the worst interpreters. Mm. That's, that's a good quote. Yes. So you'll have children from a divorced family who think that the divorce was their fault. If I, if I could have been a better child, maybe my parents would not, not have split up. Sure. And so for me, even with sexual abuse, what I made that mean was it, I'm, I'm damaged goods. Why did my abuser choose me? Because I was already defective and he knew it. So that's why he did it instead of somebody else. And... Uh, As opposed to the reality that it was just their own twisted. Yeah, it was more about him than it was about me. But I made it about me. But I think we make it about us because we want to feel like we're in control. Mm. So we feel like, well, if I could have just fixed me, then this wouldn't happen to me. And what we're seeing now is a lot of youth are wanting to get in control of their gender and their pronouns and all this stuff. And they're doing very permanent Damage, damage, yes, to their hormones and their in their bodies, oh, chopping things off that they don't feel is. like they need, and then they grow up and turn eighteen, turn twenty five, where their brains fully develop, and they go, "Wait a second, maybe this wasn't the best this decision. Wasn't a good idea." Yeah, and so some of the stuff that's happening is that they're, they're being told that if you don't let me transition. I'm at a higher risk of suicide. Right. When in reality, the higher risk of suicide is five years after transition. Really? Yes. And that's because they realized transition didn't give me the happiness I thought it would. It's almost similar to when, I mean, I've fallen into this where I'm like, oh, money, if I just had more, it will make me happy and fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And then you get there and you go, wait a second. I still feel the exact same that I did. Right. There's some emptiness and money didn't fill it. Exactly. Yes. So I think some children are being sold this, and I'm going to call it a lie. And I also think it's propaganda. Sure. And unfortunately it's infiltrated like school systems. And I mean, even our government is, is complicit in this. Like Biden is very pro trans. Right. Well, you know what? I think it started earlier than that. I, I think it started with Bruce Jenner. Sure. Because we made Bruce Jenner a cultural icon and hero. Sports when, Illustrated, when World's he, Earth. No, but when he transitioned to be a woman, suddenly it was like, do you know he got like Woman of the Year? Yeah. And is, some other war, award for like the Courage Award. And so people look on at that and go, oh, okay. So if you, if you, if you, if you go through this process called transition, I can be celebrated. Mm. And now children are doing it. And there's a new thing called ROGD. It stands for Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria. Now, my gender dysphoria, in fact, it wasn't even called that in the 70s. It was definitely gender confusion. There's a book called the DSM. It's called That stands for the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual. And that's the book that mental health practitioners use to diagnose mental health issues. So, for example you know, look up clinical depression, there'll be like nine symptoms. And if somebody has, I think, seven out of nine, then they're diagnosed as clinically depressed. Interesting. Well, there used to be a diagnosis in there called gender identity disorder that meant this person feels 
distress about their biological sex. I, I want to be careful about how I use the word gender because I know that it's been redefined, but right. I grew up with it being defined. Gender just means male or female. Like it's, it's what sex you are. Sure. And it's, I still find it confusing because as much as that word has been co-opted to mean something different, to mean, oh, how you identify, what sex you identify as, but then we still have, people still have gender reveal parties sure. when they're pregnant. So th they're using the word in the traditional way. Yeah, I think it's purposely confusing. I think, honestly, it's, it's like you said, it's propaganda, and it's all meant to be a little confusing and elusive, I'm not quite sure exactly what the gender is, or what the agenda is. I think it's to destroy the family. Yeah, I think I think and that's the image the of God root. in in us because you know we were made created in the image of God, male and female. He created them, and so we bear His image. Right, we are image bearers, and and if you're a Bible believing person, this is something I found out in my adulthood. How when God created Adam first, both male and female were inside. Adam looked like okay, a male. Okay, because when they pulled out the and ribbon, they, made and, the girl. and then he pulls out the female quality. God pulled out. Yes, the, yes. Created the female, but they were never meant to be separated. Two different beings. They were meant to marry and still. Oh, and the two become one. Two yes. become one. Yes. And so, we live in this day and age where that very basic human understanding that's been around since the beginning of time, mm -hmm. or and that's also orthodox you know, Christian belief. Right. But I mean, it's, it's not, not it's just not being, Christian. I think it's other faiths it, as well. It's, every, it's yeah. not just Christian. Jewish, so and we're, we're also Muslim. spiritual beings. Right. So I think, for example, on this issue around gender and people who push gender ideology, I don't know that they're recognizing our spiritual side. And they certainly aren't recognizing that we have a creator. Right. And so they want to be God and just say, well, I know better than God. And I, I thought that I did as well. Mm. Like a, you asked me earlier about, did I feel like a man trapped in a girl's body or a boy trapped in a girl's body? I think I just wanted to be a boy. And so my name is Christine and I went by Chris because I hated. So I have a name that doesn't. Uh, translate well on both. You know, some names like a guy could be um, Leslie, could be a boy or a girl. Tracy. It's Tracy. Yeah. Um, you know, there are names that are both. And um, mine is not one of those. Right. So I went by Chris because I was trying to identify with my masculine side, I guess. And I really gravitated toward masculinity. I had an older brother, I mentioned him already, that he was a, a really harmful force in my life. But he was also, unfortunately, somebody that I looked up to. Because I think that in my home, who was I going to look up to for a role model? And so I chose him because I'm, I'm guessing it was the lesser of three evils between my mom and my dad. Because my sure. dad was an abuser, my mom was a victim. So what do I have next? My older brother. And I admired him. And even though he was a victimizer. Even though he abused me, because there were some times he was kind to me. Sure. So that was a that was a very confusing relationship. You know, I looked up to him, and then there's times for, and I think I think he was just angry. We were in a just a, a, a home that just there was a lot of anger, and I think he was just that was his way to vent and express his anger. And I'm not justifying it because it it came at great personal cost to me. Sure. So do you think the abuse? from your family was a direct link to then this gender dysphoria 
homosexual tendencies, this confusion? 100%, because it was trauma. The trauma of sexual abuse. My, my main primary sexual abuser was not my brother, it was my cousin. Okay. Although, it, and this is embarrassing, but I was 36 years old and in therapy when my therapist said that my brother's behavior towards me was a form of sexual abuse. And I told her that, no, it was sibling rivalry because it was a mild form. I know, like, for example, intercourse, I could definitely acknowledge that's a form of sexual abuse. Yeah. And it didn't involve intercourse or, or even genital contact, but it was it was something more, um, less severe than that, but it was also something that was degrading to me. Are you willing to open up about it? Yeah, I mean, if you want to know specifics, I just didn't know if I was allowed to go there. But yeah, he grabbed my breasts from the moment they started to develop, so like 11 years old, and would grab them and taunt me for my breast size, and the I think what was the the bad part about it, I mean, I think that's not appropriate anyway. Sure. But also that it went on until I was 30. Really? Yes. And because I grew up with it, it was my normal. Mm. So in my mid to late 20s, I started getting angry. After a visit home to, to see my family and my brother was there, I was like flying back to South Florida where I live, and I was really angry. I'm like, what are you so mad about? And it was just like, it just felt like I'm a grown woman. Like nobody grabs my breasts. Right. right? And it's not appropriate. It's not. A, and I didn't know what, and my therapist and I, when we talked, I thought it was okay when you're 12. She's like, no, it wasn't okay then either. <laughs> right. Because when you grow up and-, and Because you said he was four years older. So, if, four, so when so you're 12, he's 16. Yeah. And I couldn't physically like, you know- like I could try, but I wasn't strong enough to overpower him. And whenever prior to that, you know, growing up and when there was physical abuse, like just hitting that kind of thing. Um, I didn't mean like as if it's not, you know, dangerous, but I'm saying like when he's hitting me, kicking me, punching me because we're in some kind of fight about whatever. And when I ap- appealed to my parents to make him stop, they said you probably deserved it. So they didn't even. Dang. Come to me. I know. So when I was a kid. My sister and I were, we were the only two in the family. Right. And I would, like, as a young kid, I craved that kind of boy, you know, wrestling, fighting. We played King of the Hill. Right. I would, like, throw stuff at her. I would I would have fun by, like, annoying her type okay. stuff. And my parents, every single time, were like, you, like, have to stop that. And they would hound me every single day and tell me, when you grow up, She's not gonna like you, and then you guys are gonna. You're not gonna be friends, right? If you, if you, if you continue this. Well, but also, how old were you both? Because I think you're closer in age than. Yeah, she she was only two years younger than 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 me, and um, and it went on until maybe like twelve or something. Oh, and then they were like, "Okay, you gotta stop this." Oh no! Yeah, it was like very, very like you can't do this, and they kept saying every day that they're like, "You're the only." two people in your life that like you have this sibling relationship right. you have to love each other they wanted other. you guys to have a good sibling relationship and now we do and i'm so 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 thankful for that guidance and that push that they gave us because now we're like the best of our friends yeah in that relationship i wouldn't trade for anything in the world and in high school when when we were tight all my friends envied it because they didn't have that because they're it's like I don't know why, but on Disney Channel and Nickelodeon, 
that brother sister uh, sibling rivalry on every single show it was like oh my brother he's so annoying ooh mm. gr- girls all this stuff it was like this programming where you're supposed to dislike them you're supposed to when you're around your friends you know make jokes about them not invite them in we did the exact opposite where I would invite her to all oh, wow, all awesome. the friend group of events I cannot and, relate to that whatsoever and mesh it in and I'm so thankful that I did that because it laid a great foundation. I would recommend any youth listening, if you don't have that sibling bond, definitely, definitely do everything you can to work on that and take pride in the fact that you and your siblings are close because other people m- might not have that mm-hmm. and it might inspire them to want that. Now, I want to mention I have a younger sister. Oh, and yeah? today I'm I'm very close. I've have been close to my my sister as adults. We did have a sibling rivalry. We're also very different because she was much more comfortable in her gender. Mm-hmm. She was I call her I just the way I describe it and I feel like there's no real dictionary definition to this word fufu. <laughs> sure, like, like I don't even know girly th- yeah yeah that, that, okay girly yes yeah. <laughs> she was like so she was into makeup and dolls and I was out playing bo- with boys playing cops and robbers sure tomboy and, yeah oh 100% tomboy and that's the thing I feel like and I was called a tomboy as a child sure so I feel like I think it's okay for a girl to express herself in a masculine way even today okay but those girls who are maybe have a masculine edge are now being encouraged, you know, maybe you're in the wrong body. Right. And so there's confusion, which I feel like it's, I think, I don't think we all have to be the stereotypical, like a Barbie kind of girl who's into makeup and all that, or a boy who's a macho dude plays sports or whatever. And yeah, I think (laughs) that there's, there's different kinds, you know, God gives people different gifts. So like you're very artistic, but artistic boys are perceived as effeminate sometimes. A hundred percent. I got just to, to open up in high school, I grew up. Um, in the time that I was in high school, it was the beginning of all this type of stuff. I was of, in love, like I would say, where homosexuality was becoming popular, right? Popularized, yeah, because trans wasn't popular when you were in high school. No, no, no. Because no. you but, probably started high school about was it twenty sixteen? You said you graduated. Uh, yeah, I graduated twenty eighteen, so okay. I started twenty fourteen. Yeah, um, and by then homosexuality was super popular. In fact, kids I think were being like identifying as gay because they wanted to be popular because to be straight was to be plain and boring and vanilla. Hundred percent. And even when I was in high school, I I personally would play it up. Not ever oh, like your creatives creativeness. My creativeness, you know okay. that that you know before puberty really hit uh-huh. and all that. I had I would hang out with girls pretty much exclusively. I'd pick up on their mannerisms. I was in theater. I was in art. I was in cheer. So like everybody assumed I was gay. I wasn't mm-hmm. ever. Um, I even you probably had, just want to be liked. Sure, and I just liked being around girls and that type of okay. uh, nurturing, fun energy as opposed to guys. I didn't even really have solid guy friends until like junior year. Okay. Uh, and that's my entire life. Like from pre-K on, I just hung out with girls. And so I would play, you know, with my sister, Harbies and Polly Pockets and mm-hmm. all that. And that's just what I was into. I, I don't know why. But I actually had a friend of mine who struggled with gender dysphoria and homosexual tendencies. She tried to convince me once that, that, that I was gay. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, literally, like, 
pressing for weeks being like, dude, you're gay. Just head it. And I'm like, I'm really not. Like I, I just because you're artistic doesn't make you that, you know, hundred percent. But, but I'm going to go back to ROGD for a minute. Cause I think that that is, instead of being a tomboy, now we're just, girls are just sent are. All right. First of all, I think trans is the new gay. So it's replacing homosexuality in mm. terms of the popularity, but I think it's far more dangerous than identifying as gay because with the trans title and label comes usually treatment because we're medicalizing a psychological issue. And I think mm. that's the danger. It's psychological. I feel like I don't feel comfortable in my female body and so I, I'm trans and I want to be a boy. And so the first thing they do is social transition. And, and, and I think I kind of lived that even though it wasn't called What is called social that. transition? So, social transition is when you identify as the opposite sex and you're almost like treated like that. So you change your pronouns, you come up with a boy name and you're, you're asking everybody to call you this other name. Like for me, it would have been Chris. That was my boy name. And although I didn't do the whole he, him thing, because that wasn't a thing, but people <laughs> called me Chris, but people often called me sir, son, and young man. Like when I was out in public, like if you're at a restaurant or a store and they, you know, somebody approaches you, they're like, oh, can I help you, sir? As a, as a, as a teenager or even a young adult, I was still being called sir, son, and young man because I didn't look like a girl. I looked mm. more like a boy. Wow. That's, I mean, I, I just... And did that kind of validate your feelings a little bit? It validated my... I mean, I didn't mind that I didn't look like a girl because I remember I said that girls were weak. It was a, a process for me of where... of realizing that I was wrong to, to put them all in one category. And that's what's also dangerous about identity politics is we, we put everybody in one category. I would like to say we need to be able to have tomboys again. You know, girls who are athletic or, or you know, like masculine things. Because there's also, simultaneous with this, there's been a push for women to have, like, women's rights. For example, it was 100 years ago, we couldn't even vote. Women didn't have the right to vote. right. So, like, that's absurd. Like, I can't even wrap my head around that today. <laughs> we couldn't vote, right? And um, and then you've got, you know, education. Like, women were deprived of, of like, a lot of women didn't go to college because it was, like, assumed they're just going to be the housewife. Leave it to Beaver is a TV show. When I was a kid, you may not have ever heard of it. I used to watch it, actually. Okay, so yeah. Leave it to Beaver was a classic, like, all-American family <laughs> and... The woman was the housewife and the, and the man was a breadwinner. And so women, but in the seventies, women started to want to work the women's movement. And I was always athletic. So, um, you have a woman named Billie Jean King who pushed for women's rights today. Women athletes attribute her for getting equal pay in, in tennis. And maybe, maybe that spilled over into other sports too, but I definitely know that in tennis. So then we've pushed for a lot of things. And so now today I want to ask young girls, what is it you think you can't do that you need to become a boy? Right. So, because you can be a firefighter, you can be a fighter pilot. You can be right now. You can be vice president in our country, but in other countries you can be prime minister, which is the, the highest, sure. the highest position in, in politics. You can be, I mean, anything you can, I mean, I don't know a thing you can't be. So why do you feel the need to try to change genders? Um, I think kids are being sold a lie 
that it's really not, you're never going to be a man. Like it, it's plastic surgery. Right. In fact, I think, I mean, honestly, I have this kind of, I don't know if this theory or I've been thinking about this for a long time and I feel like, like gender dysphoria, I, I mentioned earlier, it used to be called gender identity disorder. Mm-hmm. Well, they renamed it in the DSM, that manual that, that, that mental health professionals use. They renamed it gender dysphoria to destigmatize it because they took the word disorder out. Ah, interesting. Yes, that was intentional. So dysphoria is less... Less like you're crazy. It's okay. Because you don't have a disorder. You just have some dysphoria. You just have some uncomfortable, you know, you're, you're, you have discomfort, mm. you know? Which can be healed. With, which kind of With normal, a couple of surgeries. Which is trying some... to normalize it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what do you think the danger is in normalizing this? The danger in normalizing gender dysphoria in terms of treating it is what we're doing is we're medicalizing children, okay? And so they're getting, they start with a social transition, my names and my pronouns. Then they go on to, depending on how old they are, they go on to puberty blockers. So they're avoiding puberty because they don't want the uncomfortableness of a, a female developing body. So they're skipping over it. And... But then now we're giving them testosterone so that their voice drops, they draw, they grow facial hair, but they're doing permanent damage to their body. They're going to be sterile. Mm. Now what the other side sells it as, we're just going to put a pause on puberty. You don't pause puberty. Right. Right. It's not, that's not how your body works. Right. So it also creates issues with, with bone development because your body does not developing how it should. And so you get a, a osteoporosis you know like like real physical ailments um and then then when you start cutting off body parts those don't grow back right. they're gone forever you also lose sexual functioning right which if you, your whole identity is based around who you like to have sex with and your sexuality to lose sexual function and feeling yeah like I you're imagine can be have, devastating you're not gonna have an orgasm Right, and especially if everybody around you, your entire community of people, all you guys, you guys rally behind. We like we identify with this sexuality. We like to have sex with this type of person. It's very sex sex oriented well, culture. Well, it's so interesting though because on the trans issue, it's less about sexuality and more about identity. But what I was going to say is my theory is or my. If you call it a theory, but I feel I've been trying to come up with a way to like, there's got to be another way to help these kids. Right. So as far as ROGD, that's kids who, who like suddenly rapid onset gender dysphoria that suddenly are like declaring pronouns and name change when they didn't have, because true gender dysphoria is over persistent over a period of time, not one day you start to say, oh, I think I'm the opposite sex. And that's what's been very confusing for parents because sure. they've had these. And it's, okay, the other thing that's interesting is that um, historically on the trans issue, it's been male to female transition, like right. Bruce Jenner. Right. Okay, for, for like that's been the, the that's been the majority of Drag queens, all that all stuff. All of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but then you've got, and a very small percentage was, female to male. And now we're seeing a complete opposite where it's like a 5,000% increase in female to male transition. What do you think is causing that? Well, with teenage girls, we see different 
seasons where like there was a big thing with you know cutting was a big thing um yeah uh girls identifying as gay it's like the new thing it's a it's uh, i think it's like a trend or a fad you think it's almost like emo was back in the day like like it's kind of trendy but i don't it's really like n- understand emo so but was it a girl thing <laughs> It was a it was a boy and girl thing, but it's pretty much just like the swoopy hair, dressing black, bunch of jewelry. It was like okay. it was like a trendy but like weird alternative. I think community. I think a lot of this is driven by kids wanting to be part of community and feeling a sense of belonging. I mean, I watched. I mean, I've I've, I've watched. I've done a lot of research on this, and so so like we now have another group called detransitioners where they started the process and, and um, a number of them, um, you know, maybe they, if they just did social transition, it's not as dangerous, but when they start doing the medicalizing, let me tell you something, when you medicalize, you have to be a a medical patient for life Mm. because you don't, your body doesn't make that hormone that you need to function as the opposite sex. And And then your body becomes dependent on it, used to it. And when you come off of it, 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 it's con- your body's confused. Well, like, what, and when what, you detransition, you now you've got women with these deep voices and stuff. Or uh, Chloe Cole is one of the most famous tr- detransitioners in the United States. She's actually suing her healthcare provider for allowing her to transition. I think her mastectomy, her double mastectomy, was either at fifteen or sixteen. Dang. So, and there's a number of states that are outlawing medical procedures for minors, which I agree with. But then there's a state, I don't know if you heard about this, this is a, a breaking story this past week. Tell me. California has become a sanctuary state for kids that want to transition that their parents won't let them. Okay. They can come there, seek the medical attention that they quote unquote need without their parents' approval. Right. They don't even, in some states, don't even need parent parental consent. And is it also true that California even is willing to pay for these procedures? I believe so. Yeah, Ta- I thought so too. Taxpayer yeah, funded, and which, this is which so, seems so dystopian and unbelievable, but when it becomes legislation, I think that's we've already gone so far. Listen, in California, they want to criminalize it if the parents do not want to affirm a child's transition. They want to say that's child abuse. Right. But I want to talk about solution. I don't want to just talk about the problem. Right. So, because otherwise, we just leave everybody depressed and discouraged. Now we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Elevate Life Educational Foundation, that makes the TLT movement possible. There's never been a more critical time to elevate your life. We are starting a movement, TLT Movement, helping tomorrow's leaders today to transform, step into their greatness, and have breakthrough in the areas of emotional intelligence and spiritual intelligence so they can step out in life and do hard things, learn their identity, step into their purpose at a young age. We're training them through different courses of action. We have the STAND program, that's three days with a one-year mentorship, the LEAD experience, which is every summer a five-day, and then SERVE. So they learn that when they change their world, they can change their world, making an impact. There's nothing more rewarding than helping young people discover their identity and purpose. Help us with the TLT movement, getting these tomorrow's leaders today to stand, lead, and serve in their world. Check out our website at tltmovement.com to see our next training and mentorship. And there's a nomination form. So nominate those young people in your world. Let's get them registered today and help us to elevate life. 
lady in California I have a lot of respect for. She's a lawyer. Her name is Erin Friday. Okay. And she was a mom. She is a mom. And her daughter was starting to want to transition. But out of nowhere, again, it was one of those rapid onset. There was a particular researcher who came up with this name because it was like, why are suddenly teenage girls who had zero discomfort with their gender so they did they weren't expressing themselves as gender dysphoric but suddenly now they're saying i want to transition right and so that's that was the name that was given it called um gender rapid onset gender identity i think it was lisa Littman is the one that came up with that terminology anyway aaron friday had a girl a daughter who was in that category of suddenly wanting to transition now this is extreme i just want to say but I guess I want to I want to mention this for parents who are like, what do we do? What do we do? Because this is very divisive in families right now, where children are demanding to get medical treatment for this. And I also think I do think that the medical community is culpable, like the pharmaceutical community, because they stand to make a lot of money sure. on this. It is projected to be a $30 billion industry. Whoa, the transitional? So, the yeah, the trans, yes, transitioning people is projected, uh, and it's going to be, it's already grown a lot, but it's it's continuing to grow as as this is getting traction with youth. The, the challenge is, one, youth do not have the critical thinking skills and to refute. And because it's even in the schools now, and some schools really celebrate it and, and go all out for, like, pride and all this, kids want to be popular, so they'll start to latch on to that. Or if teachers are questioning, well, maybe you could be in the wrong body because if you're a girl who likes to play with trucks or if you're a boy who doesn't like sports. So teachers can plant those seeds. And I think that's really harmful. This this mom, Erin Friday, took extreme action to help her kid. And first thing she did was took away the phone mm. because that's the child's portal to you know communicating with people, social media, all that. Like all of that feeds into it. Um, sure. And, and I, I have to say that during the pandemic with children being home from school and online and a, and a lot of times unsupervised, that has not helped. 100%. Because there's a lot that's being promoted online that parents would never want their children to have access to. So she she restricted the use of the phone and, and believe she changed her daughter's school so that she had to, you know, be in a new environment and then introduced new hobbies and things like that. Um, so that her world wasn't, you know, so linked to the, to the virtual relationships and getting that affirmation through virtual community. Cause some of these kids have found their way to, to declaring themselves trans through being a part of an online community and just finding acceptance in that online community. Sure. So now watching some stories of detransitioners. I mean, I watched this one girl who's like, crying saying i just wanted to belong you know so there's a group that wants to welcome me so yes i went along with it and i've cut off my breasts now and i've done this and now it's like i've realized i've made a terrible mistake i think we're gonna have a tsunami of regret in a few short years of children now that have been through this process and i don't see it stopping or 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 slowing down yet i it, i feel like we've reached a tipping point in some areas where People have pushed back, like, for example, we mentioned Dylan Mulvaney, like the backlash that happened with Bud Light over 
having Dylan Mulvaney as a spokesperson. They still haven't fully even recovered. They've never recovered. No. And even with Target, because Target, at the beginning of Gay Pride in June, had this big like campaign, and they they had like bathing suits, girls' bathing suits that had extra space to tuck a boy's penis in. So they're basically, you know, encouraging this. And there was a pushback on Target. As well, like, I know, and they and they they pulled out pretty quick. They stopped with right. with the display. They kind of backed off. Yeah, but but they also had a bunch of pride shirts for children. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yes, they have, and so they they have also experienced some backlash over that, like people saying we should boycott them. This is a real interesting time in our in our country where where we see, you know, because I know we we mentioned earlier our faith, mm-hmm. um, uh. As, as Christians, but where we see Christians on the same side as feminists, as even some homosexuals, because there's a lot of homosexuals who think this whole trans agenda has gone way too far. And they even, there's groups that want to drop the T from LGB. They just want to be LGB. They don't want to be LGBT. I can imagine if you're gay and you're attracted to the same sex, if a group comes in and goes, hey, there's no such thing as gender and it's all a social construct and you can be whatever you want to be, but you're full on gay. You're attracted to the same sex and they're saying the sex isn't a thing. It's like, that's kind of disrespectful in a way. They're, 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 if I don't know how to describe that, but no, but but listen, listen, the trans community thinks that. So if you declare as a lesbian, okay, so you want to be with women, but if you are not open to being with a man that identifies as a woman, Right, so it's really a biological male, then they're calling you transphobic. Right. And vice versa, if you're a homosexual male and you only want to be with another male, but they're saying, well, wait, why Why are you being so transphobic? And they'll do the same thing to a straight male who doesn't want to date a trans man that's identifying as a girl. They'll go, what are you? Oh, that, yeah, that, right, that, exactly. That, that's a girl. Exactly, yes. And I think... This kind of this is gonna sound so dumb, but we need to get back to just a basic concept that we all learned in school: sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt and me. And that's not don't true. Let, don't let these. Well, y- well you're I right, mean, but don't let these words labels. Do have power. Yeah, I think of we transphobia need to stop labeling all, ourselves. Yes. I think that's what you're saying. Yes, as as far as like, because some people might be scared to say no to a trans that is pursuing you or something because they don't want to be labeled transphobic, homophobic, all these things. We need to stop giving that so much power mm. and allowing that cancellation because you're oh, a bigot. Culture, yes. But yes. yeah, no, you're right. Sticks and stones will break your bones, but words they can hurt will you. leave a long-lasting, oh, forever absolutely. impact on your psychology. Yes. <laughs> now, so I was mentioning earlier, I, I said that there was some, I feel like there's another way we can serve children who may be gender dysphoric. All right, so you went with... Miss Friday, who took a very I, I did mention heavy Aaron approach. Friday, yeah, and she runs an organization which I'm embarrassed that I don't know the name of it, but she's helping parents. Okay, there's some great resources out there. We're gonna link that down below okay. so that you guys can oh, check yeah. it out. Please. It's in it's in in the description. Now that's a pretty wild, dramatic approach to some parents. In that case, it worked because right. her okay. daughter started to develop other interests, and it wasn't all on this. This it wasn't so over focused on this one area of her life. So that's good. I feel like some parents might be a little cautious to change the kid's entire life, even though I believe it is the parents' duty 
to step in with these. With it's like the children have been radicalized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's another group that I, I really, I, I admire their work, and it's called, it's an acronym, P-I-T-T, Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans. <laughs> okay. Isn't that great? That's great? And they have a wonderful like newsletter, I read that. Um, Genspect is a wonderful group of mental health professionals that believe that this whole agenda has gone off the rails and it's harming children tremendously. I want to argue for let's treat this issue because it's a psychological issue. Dysphoria is a feeling. Okay. Let's treat it with a psychological solution, not a medical solution. There's no other, there's no other psychological ailment that we say we're just, okay, let's, we're going to start having surgery to, to fix that problem. Right. Right. You're, you heard depressed. Maybe we should lobotomize you. Well, and you, it's <laughs> funny you mentioned depression because that's also a big argument for against um, medicalizing children is because underlying this uh, desire for trans to, to transition for a lot of kids, there are underlying medical or I'm sorry, mental health conditions like autism depression, anxiety, and we're not treating that. They're going straight to, to hormones and surgery. We're skipping over a whole... So, okay, for the longest time, the way to treat this has been... It was called watchful waiting. In the medical and mental health community, that's what they would do when a child was not identifying with their biological sex, they would just say, we're just going to keep an eye on this, mm. right? And most kids, if you leave, if left alone, 80 to 90% of them, by the time they reach adulthood, will be comfortable in their biology. Right. It may just be yes. gay or may just be something else. Yeah, some will identify as homosexual. And, and, and you and I also have a love for leadership Yeah. Um, and and personal growth type of things. Like, you know, that just came back from a personal growth seminar. And, and just to give a quick shout out, Christine was a direct influence on Dr. Andrea Hazim, who began TLT, began Elevate Life Educational Foundation, which it, it results in this podcast existing. So in a way, this podcast is kind of, <laughs> you're kind of an executive producer. Right, whatever. Here. But anyway, <laughs> what I was going to say is this. I want to go back to a principle that we learned in our in our personal development training because we've both been to some of the same classes through Clemmer and Associates Mm -hmm. which I want to give them a shout out because that rocked my world and and there's been so much growth as a result and the word I'm saying is Clemmer which was the founder's last name Brian Clemmer so it's spelled K-L-E-M-M-E-R and they do they call themselves the premier leadership and character development company now I went to the president after I went to Uh, a couple of their classes. And I said, you guys undersell this. I got inner healing, Right? you know, you call it, you know, leadership and character development. And she said to me, her name is Kimberly Zink, wonderful lady, president of the company. And she said, what do you think character development is? And I was like, Oh, cause it's like working on your stuff. Yeah. You know? So think about this though, with regard to gender. Okay. When you're in that process of transitioning, you are in resistance to your own body. Okay. And I, cause I've thought about this and I thought, cause that's one of the things we talk about in that training is letting go of resistance. Right. And to just, to what is, and that way you can, you can, if there's an event that happens 
and you can't change the event, but then you can, what you can work on is your reaction, your response, your attitude, things like that. Which unfortunately, a lot of times for a lot of people, they feel is uncontrollable because- Their reactions? Yes, because it's subconscious. It, they have a program from past yes. life that runs them that when something stressful right. comes about, they react and they feel like they're unable to control that. But what's amazing is you, you can choose differently. You can choose differently. And that and that brings me back to my story of like I said that that hatred for my body was running me and or hatred from men. It was kind of combined. And so as an adult, as a young adult in my early 20s, when I became a Christian. So for me, my faith was a part of my being reconciled to my gender and being able to accept it because I believed it was a mistake. Mm. I felt much more comfortable expressing myself in masculine ways. I wished I was a boy. I went by Chris. I was called Sir Sun Young Man. I looked like a boy, probably act like a boy in most ways, was very masculine in my appearance. And as a baby Christian, as a new Christian, I felt like God made a mistake and I struggled with, there's a, there's a scripture in Psalm 139, and it says that God knit me together in my mother's womb. Mm. And the thing about that verse is that for me, it, it implies, and I think it's, yeah, it is implicit, um, intentionality with, with me. Like he created me. We, we mentioned earlier, he's, he's our creator, Male and female, he created them. And we're created in his image. And I believe that God intended my gender to be a blessing and not a burden. Mm. But at the time, it was a burden for me. So I didn't necessarily... I don't know that I had the capacity to just say I choose to feel feminine because I didn't feel feminine and I wasn't feminine, but I chose to believe that God was God and I was not. Even though I thought I knew better than him, I chose to say, okay, well... I don't know why you made me a girl. I do think it's a mistake, but I'm going to trust that you're God and I'm going to lean into it. And that's a lot of what faith is. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith is like we is, is believing. So I chose to believe that, that, that God was bigger than me and that he knit me together in my mother's womb meant that my gender was with intention. It was on purpose for a purpose. Mm. Now, just choosing to believe that was kind of, so then at that point I tried to lean into what does it mean to be a girl? Like, and it made me uncomfortable, but I, I wanted to like pursue that because I believed that I, I want to agree with God. Like, who am I to say God's wrong? I feel, I think that's arrogance. Right. And it's pride. It is. Absolutely. In so, uh, so it was a process. I just want to share that it was a process of, of, of exploring, being able to express myself in feminine ways and seeing what I like, what I don't like. I actually thought for a long time, this is embarrassing, but that I thought, cause I always loved sports. I thought that I would have to give up sports and take up sewing. And I was like, so disappointed about that. Really? I, cause I thought that that would be girly and sports are not girly, but then I, yeah, isn't that goofy? Because you could be a That's woman hilarious. and be an athlete, although there, I think they're destroying women athletes, uh, women's sports by having biological males compete as girls. So that's a problem. And win all the titles. 
Yeah, and it's and and also depriving girls of scholarships. You know, like for example, wow. high school athletes don't have access to some scholarships because they're being won by biological boys. So it, on so many fronts, this is problematic. I wanted to. I was mentioning that I think we should treat it with a psychological solution. And the, the 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 analogy I came up with that to me fits the best is that gender dysphoria is similar to imposter syndrome. Okay, so what is imposter syndrome? Because I hear this a lot online. Have you heard that? Okay. Well, that is where you feel it's typically observed in the workplace. So where someone feels inferior or inadequate in the position they hold. For example, a woman who might be the CEO of a company thinks like, oh my gosh, how did I get to be the CEO? Like, like they're faking it almost. Yeah, like they feel like I don't deserve this or I shouldn't be in this role. Um, it was actually something that was first discovered or named in 1978 by researchers who were studying high achieving women. But then as they studied it, they realized it didn't, not only were high achieving women feeling this, but there were others as well. In fact, now we would say it's pretty universal that people feel like sometimes like an imposter. I, I went to a, when I was studying at Oxford, I went to a workshop on imposter syndrome and so it could also be related to maybe you got into a school like Harvard or for me, Oxford and think, how did I get into this school? Like, I feel like an imposter. Like I don't deserve to be here. I don't belong I'm here. Not as smart as, right. as these other kids. Yeah. And so here's the thing though, with imposter syndrome, we don't tell the person who's the CEO or the president of a company or the person who got into Harvard, well, then you should go somewhere else. Like you should go to a different school. If you, you think you're an imposter, just change schools or change jobs. We, that's right. not how we help them with that. We help them move through their feelings of, of inferiority and inadequacy in that job or, or, or in that school. So, so the way to handle, and, and this has been studied since 1978. So there's decades of research and scholarship on this. Okay. So the way to treat this is to help people move through their feelings of discomfort. And there's certain like very practical things. Like, I mean, it's so simple, like examine the evidence. How did you get into this job? What right. was your previous work experience? What is your educational background? Um, fake it till you make it. So you feel like an imposter? That's okay. You're still here. And is treating uh, it psychologically yes. as opposed to medically. Yes. Like they're not yes. doping these people up. Right. No, they're not. And they're not saying you got to change jobs. But right. like for a child who's saying, I don't feel comfortable in my gender. Oh, you should change genders. Yeah. Which... By the way, it's not even a who feels when you're going through puberty. Nobody who feels comfortable nobody doing that. Yeah, said nobody, nobody. Yeah, but here's the thing. This is what I think is super interesting. You ready? So when somebody is transitioning, and I'm talking about medical transition, when they're transitioning, the conversation shifts. Okay, and it's all about one thing. What's that? Passing. Passing what? It's about passing as the opposite sex. They, I'm a girl and I'm trying to be a boy and transition to be a boy. And all I want is to pass as a male. I want people to accept me as a male, perceive me as a male. Cause people get super upset. If you, they call it misgendering. If they, if, 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 if somebody referred to you with a pronoun and you're trying to pass as the opposite sex, you know why you have to pass? Cause you're not that thing. <laughs> you're never going to be that thing. You're never going to be that opposite sex. You can, you can dress up the outer packaging. Your chromosomes are still going to say you're female. So it's all about passing. Here's the thing. You ready? We don't treat imposter syndrome with more imposter syndrome. 
So the goal to overcome imposter syndrome is not to go, hey, you need to become more an imposter. No, we, it's not to change jobs or anything. It's just we're going to help you ride through the feelings of, of being uncomfortable in the role that you're in. So what do you think is the top way? Whereas in gender, by, by saying, well, you don't feel adequate as a female or you feel distress in your body as a female, uh, the, I don't think the answer is, well, then you should be male. So here, so here, I want to, I want to share this because this is something, this is kind of my summary statement on this, this comparison. Okay. Okay. It's an analogy, but basically the similarity between gender dysphoria and imposter syndrome is that they're both psychological. Mm -hmm. They both involve self perception pertaining to how one compares to their peer group. And they both include feelings of inadequacy and inferiority resulting in distress. Now, I feel like if we could help people with the same way we help people with imposter syndrome, help them with their gender, with the same, like treating it psychologically, we would serve them better. Now, I I do want to acknowledge in this analogy that I'm sharing right now, there is a breakdown in the analogy in that imposter syndrome is referring to, most of the time it's referring to people in their workplace, what I do. Not who I am. Right, whereas on gender... Because I already can anticipate the pushback on sure. the analogy, so I want to say I can under- acknowledge that there is a there is a breakdown. Whereas on gender identity, it's about identity. Um, however, I do think there's enough similarities that if we could start to apply some of the same psychological principles to treat somebody with gender dysphoria, I think we would serve them better rather than suggesting surgery and cutting off body parts. So that's very good. So just to summarize some solutions that we've gone over, we had the one mother, Aaron Friday, love her. She's a hero. Yes. Who took away the phone, got rid of the propaganda, social media aspect of this child's life for a season because it was unhealthy and it was drawing her child more to, to uh, dig her heels in on this, um, identity because it's it's an ideology there are people who also say it's like being in a cult sure and one of the qualities of being in a cult is that you're not open to hearing objective information about your group and mm. i have ex- i've i i think that absolutely resonates and i and i say this also um and i didn't share this earlier so this is gone like coming out of the blue with this one, but when I was a young adult, I was also in a cult. So I, I know what oh. it's like to be, to be involved with a group that, uh, is kind of like overtaking my, uh, certainly the trajectory of my life for a season because I was, um, so desperate for, I think part of this for me was my need for a father figure. So this, uh, quote, pastor guy, I, I don't really want to call him a pastor, but that was his role. And it was like a, it was like a religious cult and it, it is embarrassing, but it's part of my history. But because I went through that, I mean, it was so severe that two of the people in it, their parents, cause we were all young, mm. like 19 ish, 20 Uh, It happened when I was in college and it was related to, uh, I I played, I was a scholarship athlete Mm -hmm. for two years in junior college. And it was my tennis coach who was a part of this group who, who basically grafted you in me and two other girls on my college tennis team into this group. 
And so it got so controlling. We all ended up living together in the same house. People gave a hundred percent of their income. And, uh, my friend's parents, uh, got, you know, came down to visit from out of state and they couldn't be alone with their daughter because wow. the pastor said they're, that your parents are trying to interfere with your relationship with God. Wow. So they eventually, they did research. They came to the conclusion that their daughter was in a cult and they hired people and had their daughter kidnapped. To and that was out. in the news. I'm, I'm from Tampa, Florida. I that think was, I've heard of that. I don't know if our group was small, but it was like in 1988, it was in the news in the Tampa Tribune, St. Pete Times, local TV news when, when there was already a story. Of, okay. So, so remember I, remember when I shared about hating being a girl. So there was a new a TV crew coming out to our house that we all lived together and they were going to film. And the girls in the group said to me, Christine, or I didn't go by Christine, Chris, Chris, why don't you wear a skirt for the TV? And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, you know, maybe dress up a little. And I was like, and I, I didn't, I didn't know why they were saying that, but listen to me, they convinced me to wear a skirt for when the TV crew showed up. Okay. So when my friends that I'd known like 10 years saw this TV little news feature on my church that they were wondering if it was a cult when my friends, they were the parents of my, um, my best friend who we, I met when we were uh, 14. So her parents watched this and they were like, something is terribly wrong. Like Christine is wearing a skirt. We know this is a cult. Like that's how they knew that it was bad. Okay. So, so, so the, so sim- the similarity between this environment and then the cult totally is, is there are similarities because there's another thing that, uh, quality of a cult, which is something called love bombing. Okay. Mm. And that's where the new, uh, prospect is surrounded with love and community like like never before and i think these kids in school i have a friend and she told me that at her church there is a um she's a pastor's wife and at her church they have a um school resource officer mm-hmm. and he told her that i watch this every year girls entering high school ninth grade girls coming into the high school and you're insecure you're trying to find where you fit in and then the lgbt club gets you know so you know like love bombs you yes totally and shows you, you all the love that you're like, like Whoa. you suddenly feel a group that you connect with and you feel like i belong these are my people and this girl has never felt gender dysphoric before right. i have another friend who's a public school teacher who told me that the club in her school not only like they they actually sponsor luncheons they get they provide free food and all this to get to attract kids to the meetings <laughs> and and like to make it fun so there's stuff happening on multiple levels i feel like we've only scratched the surface of this issue you know because it's it's wow. deeper than we realize it's quite deep and the more I talk to you, the more I realize how deep it really goes. And just to get back to the recap on the solutions. Mm-hmm. So there, as a parent, you have a responsibility. We can all agree that cults can get bad and are, are oh, yeah. not great. Right, right. And when we hear stories like the parents literally kind of kidnapping their own daughter to pull her out, we go, well, okay, that, wait, that, that's a good parent. That was, that was my friend you know, 30 years ago, but sure. Aaron Friday didn't kidnap her daughter, but she did put on no, some no, no, yeah. strict boundaries. So yes, I just yes, want to yes, be clear. Yeah, just to but d- it, d- it did take drastic measures but, but, for but, but, Aaron but ju- and her daughter. Just to compare, because I've heard of that parents 
taking that type of measure to like, because I watch a lot of cult the documentary, well, and, here's and, the thing. and I hear about that often, where the parents go and pull the kid yeah. out against their will, but in the end, the, the kids are like, "Oh my god, thank you!" Like, well, here's the and thing: so because you kind of have to take the same approach with yes, the gender stuff. But let me say on that because I because I brought up the cult thing, the comparison is that the child then, and in this case, we were adults, and so, but they get exposed to objective information about their group for the first time. Because they're being insulated to from any of that information. I mean, I was in junior college, and I told you it was in the local news, like in the newspaper. So my favorite professor at my college in Tampa, Florida, said to me, Chris, I'm reading about your group in the paper. Would you please... It was a sociology teacher, okay? Mm-hmm. He said, would you come... Would you be willing to come and speak with me about your experience? Like, he was basically saying, I want to understand what's happening. Sure. I'm only seeing one side, which is the media side. And I said... Yes, I would be open, but I have to have someone from my church present. And he said, that's when I knew you were gone. Because he said, I mean, this is later when I got out of this group. He said, like, I was one of his brightest students. I took his classes multiple times. I really enjoyed him as a professor. And suddenly now I won't even speak to him unless somebody from my church was present. Mm. So, um, it... it, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I, 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 as we share this and as I share the analogy of one imposter syndrome two, this is like a cult because it's very strict in its ideology. And, and, and another quality is that when you're presented with new information, like I don't think these kids know the risks that they're being, um, that they're taking with their bodies. Mm. I don't think they know that when they, when they do have a surgery, for example, like more along the lines of the genitals, that's not a one-off deal. Like there is multiple surgeries that happen because there's multiple complications because imagine you're dealing with your genitals. So that's your ability to urinate. Mm. So you can't even, I mean, for some it's, it becomes a problem how to, to be able to urinate. Um, I, I watched a, a detransitioner talking about having to have a colostomy bag. Do you know Dang, what that is? Yeah. yeah. Like, because yeah. The, his penis was, was, I don't know the right word. Inverted. But, Cut off. Yeah, inverted. And so you can't even urinate. Like, I don't think these kids know all of the ramifications. And basically, in the medical community, the argument is, well, some would argue that these children are not able to give informed consent. And I would agree with that, that they're too young to give informed consent. That's why even in Florida, which is where we're talking right now, Ron DeSantis has said, no, we're not doing that here. And a number of other states have said, we're not going to allow this anymore because children don't know what they're consenting to. Well, they don't allow tattoos. They don't allow you to join the military. They don't allow you to drink. They don't allow you to smoke. Why are they letting them cut their penises off? I mean, that's kind of... It makes yeah perfect logical it's, sense. Yeah, why could you have a tattoo, it. but you could not have a tattoo uh, until a certain age, but you can have a double mastectomy. Right. On, on a perfectly healthy body. Right. So there. So let's definitely include some of the resources I mentioned in the show notes so people can read more, learn more, because we want people to be educated. I think for parents who are struggling, I think one of the biggest things is, is for them to be educated and also, I think they need support because there's like, I think there's some gaslighting going on here with the normalization of this stuff. Like, and what are you not a good parent? Like, yeah. yeah or just like, how, like, you know how we were talking earlier about like, if you're, if you're, a, if you're not 
whether you're heterosexual or homosexual and you're attracted to somebody, but you want to be with the opposite sex, but that and that's a trans person that doesn't have the, the genitals of the opposite sex. And they're saying, oh, what's wrong with you? You're homophobic. Just because somebody identifies as the opposite sex and they're saying, why don't you want to be in a, in a romantic or sexual relationship with that person? I think that's gaslighting. I think that's yeah. manipulation. Yeah. So um, there are groups like, for example, Pitt that I mentioned already, um, parents with inconvenient truths about trans like that almost like support groups there are support groups so there are support groups for parents there are testimonials of parents that have changed their child's environment and thus changed this trajectory that they were on exactly there are psychological treatments that you should pursue first as opposed to medical if even if even okay it's hard to say you should because I don't want to give a one-size-fits-all. In fact, that brings me to another guy named Alex Capo mm-hmm. who I listened to an amazing podcast where he he was the uh, at a girls' school in New York. like And it was a small, small school, like like uh, 41 girls in this school. And these were troubled girls, okay? Mm. Teenage girls. And uh, in, in New York, the and this is with a lot of states, the new guidelines on how do we treat children who are gender dysphoric, when those came out, it was, it's called gender affirming care. Okay. Right. And it's about affirming what the child says. Right. Right. Which I don't, I I think those are the real conversion therapists, to be honest with you, but they called it gender affirming care. So, so his school basically did everything by the book in New York state and, and then saw that, and there was one trans girl in that school. And then suddenly he said it spread like wildfire. Whoa. Yes. And he watched it spread those, the, the ideas, the philosophy, the popularity, all of this. And then he and his team said, we need to take a second look at this. So they, they went, they backed up and said, what's going on here? And they started a new approach where they weren't following the state guidelines, where they said, we are going to do what's best for the child and took each child case by case. And when the child comes in and said, these are my pronouns, they said, we understand that's very important to you. And, and we do want to talk with you about that. And we are going to talk with you about that. But for the sake of our school, we're going to, um, we're going to use the name that you were given at birth. And, um, but so they weren't trying to dismiss a child's concerns or wishes. They're saying we validate that and we're going to work with you, but we're going to work with you individually on that rather than because they were trying to stop that whole rapid spread of it through their school. And um, they saw dramatic results as, as a result of, and they wanted to treat the underlying mental health conditions. Right. So it's important to to look at the whole person and just not just say, okay, let's just, you know, change your body because it's really plastic surgery anyway. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. So um, there's so much more that could be said. Um, I think we hit a lot of really yes. great topics. I think we discussed a good amount of solutions. Are there any more solution examples that you might have? Anything extra that you want to add as far as solution based? Well, this is something that I that I'm that I want to see happen, and it's like, okay, 
I didn't know I was going to say this, but I'm just going to go for it. But, you know, I, I mentioned Chloe Cole, who's a, who's a famous detransitioner in the United States. And there's another young lady, and I can't remember her name, but there's two right now. There's two pending lawsuits right now where people are suing their health care providers for doing these kind of surgeries on a perfectly healthy body. And also, it's not just that they did the surgery, but that... Um, the way that the child felt manipulated into going forward with this kind of treatment. Sure. And you know, where the mental health professionals said to the Chloe's parents, like if you don't allow your daughter to transition, she'll probably kill herself. You know, mm. that's emotional blackmail. Yeah. That's crazy. But I, I want to call for more lawsuits. Okay. Against the healthcare providers. Because if, if, cause that's, because if money is driving this, right, the pharmaceutical company and and the doctors who are doing these kind of surgeries, if they if they start suffering from like, wait a second, you're not allowed to do this, and you're gonna and there's multi million dollar settlements against companies that provide this, then they're gonna think twice about providing this. That's a very very good point. So that would be the other solution. Okay. To kind of push back the tide. I think that that would work. I'm not usually like pro lawsuit, but in this case <laughs> I am, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I think that would heavily incentivize doctors to think twice before to, they yeah. start to do this. Yes. Yeah. So, well, that's a great point. That's that. We're going to end on that note is more lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Christine, thank you so much. Do you have any last words? Shout out social media website. I want to shout out to my mom. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my ministry is called Worthy Creations and it's worthycreations.org and I'm, you know, getting out and speaking on this issue more and I want to I want to work with teens who are gender dysphoric. Like I want to um because I know what that's like to be in a body that you hate. Right. So I actually have a coaching uh business where where people can see me as a coach and oh, awesome. uh, you mentioned uh, that I have a degree in psychology. So I have history of, so I'm, I'm not just somebody who's like, yeah, I feel like coaching people, but I also have 16 years of, of uh, pastoral care right. ministry under my belt, working with people who are, you also do public speaking at churches yes, and events. Yes. So if you want to hire so, her for public speaking, oh. thank you so much for being on the show. I really hope that this brought some value to our listeners and that whoever is tuning in, did not get too triggered throughout this to turn There's it off. There's so much going on with this issue. I really, if, you, if you're struggling with this or you know somebody that's struggling with, with this, if you've been a part of this community that uh, wants to be an ally and you stuck through this whole show, I commend you. I th thank you for checking out maybe the other side of the argument. Yes. I know it's the mainstream, you know, line to toe that to affirm care affirm somebody's gender, all this yes. stuff. I know that is cool. I know it's scary to branch out from, from that. But if, if you stuck through this whole show, thank you. Uh, please give us some feedback that down below. Comment, like, subscribe. I want to hear from some detransitioners too. I would love for if you have any detransitioners. Cause, hey, cause if, I, you, if you meet any, we'll, we'll definitely have them on the show. Okay, yeah. But I'm just saying like if any want to reach out. Like I, yes. I've wanted to to speak with them and i mean i've done i've watched a lot of interviews they've done so cool well awesome hope hope this helped <laughs> yeah i i mean for people who have questions i think absolutely that we provided a lot of information so thanks for the opportunity thank you for paying on
Thank you so much for tuning in to the TLT Movement Podcast. If you liked what you heard, maybe it will bring somebody else in your life value too. So please share with a friend, subscribe to our YouTube, and comment and let us know what you think. Our podcast is available on Spotify and Apple, and we would very much appreciate a five-star review. Visit our site, tltmovement.com.